0: Thank you, ma'am. Well, guess what? End of a great book, the book of Proverbs. Seven years we have been working our way through this incredible book, and I'll tell you, looking back, it probably... Has been for me, anyhow. I can't speak for you, but one of the personally one of the best things that uh, studies that I went through. You know, I'm not somebody who just sits down and and then puts some things out. I put a lot of time and effort uh, into what I'm going to say, and look at a lot of things, and exhaust a lot of trails. You know, and uh, but uh, it's been a marvelous book. You know, I told you when we started this book, and throughout the course of it. If there's any one book that I would like to have total recall of, it would be the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is is just an incredible. And you know, you remember I gave you the breakdown of the book <clears throat> that I think is is really the key to it, chapter 1 through chapter 7. He starts every chapter almost with the opening of my son. And um, you know, he gives his son instructions in what he is supposed to do to prepare himself for what's going to follow in chapter 8 and chapter 30. And in that chapter, which is our second section, this is where you find the actual Proverbs. And then I'll come we come to chapter 31, where we have been here for the last month or so, and we see now the end result of, 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 of a principled life uh, found in the story of the virtuous woman. And I also remember telling you that in First Kings chapter four, verse thirty-two, it tells us that Solomon did and wrote over three thousand proverbs. Now, to most people, that probably doesn't mean much, but to me, it simply means that out of all of that, because we didn't get all three thousand, it means to me that God then handpicked what He wanted me to have, and that in itself makes the book more even personal to me. And uh, you remember I showed you uh, in chapter 1 when we started way back in the day four great concepts about this book. It says in chapter 1 verse 2 that the Proverbs are given for us to know, and that'll be to know God. Then it says in verse 3 that the Proverbs were given for us to receive That'll be you and I, when you receive the word of God, you receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you to believe. And then in verse four, it says that the Proverbs, once you know them and once you receive them, then you give them. And that'll be what we give to others. Your daily ministry as you uh, help people uh, through the word of God. And then through all of that, to know, to receive, to give. And then verse six, he says to understand. And that's really the goal of the book of Proverbs uh, was to get to the point where we understand God's plan for your life, understand what God is doing, and then actually you know, how we fit into it. And I told you also that, uh, if you'll remember, I told you where the book of Job deals with our sufferings in life and why we go through the things that we go through. The book of Proverbs shows us the cause and the effect of that suffering. And through that, understanding what we're going through from the Proverbs, that's where you'll get your understanding. And the two in that respect, you know, go hand in hand. And the key to our under, uh, you know, understanding and uh, uh, our spiritual growth will obviously be the book of Proverbs getting the three things that Proverbs provides for us in a a protracted way. You get knowledge. That knowledge, if you stay with it, turns into wisdom. And then that wisdom, if you continue to stay with it and follow the Proverbs, gives you understanding. Seeing everything in life, not the way we see it, not the way the world sees it, but being able to see it the way that God sees it. And in chapter 31 we come to not only the conclusion of the book, but what we should now be for God and what we should be to God through the Proverbs of this book and the study that we have seen on the virtuous woman. Our theme verse through all of Proverbs chapter 31 was found in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 where it says, He hath begun a good work in us and will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. What a powerful verse that is. That verse says that God saved us for a reason, that there's a purpose for our existence after we got saved. God just didn't save us so we could go to heaven, though ultimately we are. God has a job for each of us to do. And that verse has been the crowning verse that I have used through this great chapter. And in fi- and in finishing out this book and now seeing what the book of Proverbs will do for us, we now see in chapter 31 Fourteen and I don't know if you listed them out or not, fourteen incredible character qualities that we need to have in our lives. And truly, I've said this many, many times, and this is this is no mystery. Character is something that is the missing element in Christianity today. And I could sum up your Christian life and my Christian life and your growth process would be simply building these fourteen character qualities that we have in this chapter in in our own life. And we saw in chapter 31, first of all, in verse 10, we saw her virtue, didn't we? And I explained what virtue was. In verse 11, we saw her, her attitude of heart. And we talked about that. In verse 13, we saw her willingness to do and be whatever God wanted her to be. In verse 14, we got to look at the food that she has, not only for her family first, but for others also. In verse 15, we saw the character quality of her humbleness, that she has a servant's heart, that she wants to do for others, that life is not all about her. In verse 16, and I remember this, we spent a lot of time on this when we saw her field that she was willing to buy. In verse 17, we saw her strength and where that lies, goings girt about with truth. In verse 18, we saw her perception, the fact that she perceives things. She sees things that others do not see. In verses 19 and 20, there was a great layout of her work. In chapter tw- uh, verse 21, we saw her family, how that because of her understanding and her perception All her family was saved. In verse 23 and 24, we see her examples to others. In verse 25, we saw her clothing. In verse 26, we saw her speech. And in verse 27, we saw her bread. And we're told that it was not the bread of idleness. She's busy doing with the word of God what God has saved her for. And finally, the last thing said about her in verse 28 through 31, I think personally is the most incredible study that probably we could ever take as far as understanding ourselves. And uh, I want to talk to you today uh, out of verses 28, 29, 30, and 31. And let me read it for you, and then, Drake, would you be prepared to stand up and ask God's blessing on our sign of Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. <clears throat> Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of, uh, give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. Right? Thank you, buddy. Now, it would be obviously safe to say that verses 28 and 31 would be the desire of every mother. And for her children, when they grow up, and they use the word here, arise. That's a key word in the Bible, and it always associates itself with somebody raising up under their own power. Uh, and it's a it's an incredible thing. And And, you know, it would be, as I said, safe to say that most mothers would really want this and desire this of their children once they grow up. But i got to tell you, but most of the time in families, today anyhow, this probably uh, very rarely happens. And in these last four verses, you will find one of the greatest unknown and hidden truths that if you ever uncover it, it will change your way that you look at everything when it comes to your household. Now, I must be honest with you today. This message is not what I planned to to do when I was thinking about Proverbs chapter 31 and closing it out. My mind works a little differently than most people's. Um, And uh, uh, that's because when God was putting brains in people, he sent a guy over to get one off the rack and he misread the label and he gave me one that said Abbey Normal. And uh, so I'm a little off base on that. But when I started to do this, I mean, God just came down and opened something up. And I'll be honest with you, I totally had never really seen before in its entirety. I mean, I understood the concepts, but um, this this is something that goes way beyond what I thought. And I just, I got so lost in it this week. Uh, and I, it showed me something that, and, and I've been through the Bible a, a few times, and it showed me something that I had never seen in the Bible before that just stuck out once I started to Unravel this verse, and in the way I do it, you know, I, I'll think about. I'm done preaching on Sunday morning. Monday's my big day of putting all my things together, but I'll think about it all day, and and you know, read the passage for I want to do before I go to bed at night, and just kind of let it simmer, you know, and then I'll get up, and then I'll start putting it all together, and and that's what I did, but I didn't intend to go where I went and uh and i can honestly say that god sent this one in from the bench so if you don't like it you know uh tonight is not quite a full moon but you could probably still get on a hill somewhere take all your clothes off and scream and yell at god through the moon and you'll feel better about it now for a moment let me jump ahead and and look at a few things before we get into this message about this woman. And I want to preach to you today what came out this week. I want to preach today about the power of being a godly mother, the power of motherhood. Now, verse 29 says, many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Now, the first thing I want you to see about this woman is that she is a rarity. She is the best of the best in the world in churches in any group of ladies she will stand head and shoulders above the normal woman and you don't find that very often today now these 14 character qualities that I gave you she has them and this is what actually sets her apart from everybody else in our text here the this woman this woman she sees what others can't see And because of that, she does things that other women won't do. She never seems to, in the chapter, lose her focus. And she certainly, from the chapter, stands as a guiding light to those around her, and she seems to never allow the circumstances around her to cause her to lose sight of the big picture of what God's doing. And from this, it's obvious that she's someone who solves problems and does not cause problems because she can see things through a perception that most people can't see. And the key to all of this is found in verse 30. It says, Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, her real beauty is not on the outward appearance. The real beauty is on an inward appearance. And that's what you look for. Now, I'm not saying you've got to be an ugly woman to be godly. I'm saying the inside needs to be much more taken care of than the outside. And it's true of all of us. Nobody is here right now looking the way you look when you first got up this morning. I mean, you're just not. And uh, it's a thing where you, you you worked at the way you look today, and honestly, I appreciate that. So do the people sitting around you. Josh, I probably think you look the same right now, this moment, as you did when you got up this morning. I just I just got that feeling that uh, nothing much has changed about you, other than uh, I don't know if you slept in those clothes last night. Kind of looks like you did, but it's okay. Uh, you're good no matter what. Anyway, it's a thing where. She, this woman is the woman of First Peter chapter uh, 3, verses 3 and 4, where it says, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting of hair and a wearing of gold or putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, this woman doesn't, doesn't doesn't put more emphasis on how she looks on the outside, and a, and a lot of women do, and, and I'm not fighting that I, I, I please don't misunderstand me. I think that you 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 want to look good, you should look good. and as old Bob Jones senior used to say, if the barn door needs painting, go ahead and paint it. I understand all that, but what I'm saying is most people spend so much time getting the outside ready to go to church. The real question this morning is, what's the inside look like? See, that's the question. And her adorning is not outward. Now, you know, there are some churches, and they're usually on the charismatic side, who the women don't wear makeup. They don't, they're all they all they, they their hair looks like they just got done with the, by the north wind. And it's a thing where, you know, they don't wear jewelry and that's all stuff. I'm not talking about that. There's nothing wrong with painting yourself, putting your eyebrows, stuff on, or whatever you do, I don't know, and, you know, and putting a jewelry on. There's nothing wrong with that. Don't misunderstand me. But the real adorning of a, of a mother, a Christian, has to be inward. The hidden man of her heart is the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and here's our connection back to uh, the book of Proverbs. First Peter chapter uh, 3, verse 4 says that in the sight of God, she's of great price. And in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10, we saw that who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. There she is. You run the two back together. Now, you'll find this woman in Song of Sodom in chapter 1, verse 6. You'll find this woman over in 1 Peter 2, verse 4, where it talks about living stones. You'll certainly find her in Matthew chapter 13, verse 46, where she's called the pearl of great price. And in Song of Sodom in chapter 5, verse 6, when it's talking about Christ and we're to be like Christ, the Bible says that he's altogether lovely. Everything about I should be lovely to the Lord Jesus Christ on the inside. Now, doctrinally, I get it. This woman in Proverbs chapter 31 is a picture of the nation of Israel and the church. Historically, she was a real woman that Solomon had found out of a thousand. And we've been through all that. And then he writes about her. But inspirationally, my message today will be centered on one of the greatest studies in all of the Bible that is laid out in chapter 31 from an inspirational application is the final product and in relationship of the power of being a godly mother. Uh, this is not Mother's Day, I get it. This would not be a good Mother's Day message anyhow. Mother's Day message is you want to say stuff that maybe isn't even true. But, so this would not be a good one because I'm just going to tell you stuff that is true. I feel like, you know, I've been in this business for a long time now, almost 50 years. Maybe it is 50. I keep forget. But anyway, it's a thing where I feel like that guy on the insurance company commercial, that older guy, where he's trying to help the guy out, and he says, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. I know a thing or two because, let me tell you something, in almost 50 years, I've seen a thing or two. And I'm telling you. And in chapter 31, when I was coming down through here, This is the first thing that hit me. This is what got me going in the direction. It just kind of popped out of nowhere. Because the first thing I want to draw your attention to is the fact that in this chapter, there's no real mention of the Father. Other than down at the gate someplace, and and, you know, and he rises up. But as far as all of the work that is being done, he's not even mentioned. In fact, in 31.1, it says the words that his mother gave him. Well, I saw that. I thought to myself, wow, that's something I need to look a little farther into this thing. And I want to preach to you this morning out of this chapter 31 uh, about a godly mother. Now, I know in the Bible, there is a rule of the, fa- rule, a rule of the father. And there's a rule of the mother. I get that. I understand that. And I understand both rules and how that, I get it, the father leads the family and he sets the biblical guidelines. There's no question about that. He's ultimately, the father, responsible for the family as far as their spiritual needs, their physical needs, and their emotional needs. But in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 there was a great concept about the woman that God gave Adam. And the Bible calls her a help meet, not a help mate. Animals have mates, I've told you this before, but human beings, Christians have meats. When you got a wife, you didn't get a mate, you're supposed to get a meet. Somebody to help you meet what God has given you as a family to do. And her role with the family is without a doubt from chapter 31, very key to the whole family. And what it takes, even though I'm just going to speak on 31 and the role of the mother here from an inspirational, it actually takes both roles working together. You don't find this very often today. Where the father lays down the principles of life and leads the family through it, Hey, don't kid yourself. It's the mother who is the glue that keeps it all together. In those early years when dad's working and he's doing this and he's doing that and mom's with those kids, you see the impact that a godly mother has and how important it is for her to have these 14 qualities in her life. And I want to talk to you about the power of being a mother and power of being a good mother but also the power of being a bad mother. Because the issue today with the family will go right back to here and these two rules meshing together and complementing each other. And again, I cannot overemphasize that help me concept of Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Now, I, I got this this week. I never thought about this. You take the term mother. You know where that's defined in the Bible for us? Some place that you'd never think that it was. Fun. I know. You can come through and find reference to a thousand mothers in the Bible. But you want to know the definitive on it? It's tucked away someplace that you'd never think about it being the definitive of the word mother. You know where it is? It's in Revelation chapter 17, verse 5. At a Revelation chapter 17, verse 5, it's telling about Babylon mystery. And it says, Babylon mystery religion the mother of harlots. You know what that tells me? Now, I know that that's the Roman Catholic Church, and I know that the Babylon mystery and all that stuff. I get that. But you know what it tells me? It tells me that every false religion on this planet started with Babylon, and Babylon is the mother. She gave birth. She's the mother to all the false religions. You know what that tells me? That tells me that as a mother, you not only give life by bringing life into this world through your children, you're the beginning of the sustaining of that life. It starts with you. Then my mind got going. I remember in the Gulf War in 1990, most of you don't remember this, we were fighting Saddam Hussein. Remember him? What did he say when before we got in a battle? And later on, Schwarzkopf kicked his rear end all over Baghdad. But what did he get up there and he said? He says, we're going to fight a battle that's going to be the mother of all battles. You know what he was saying? This battle here is going to start something that is going to reach out to the world. And the term mother defined in the Bible is, so, is where things start. She only not only gives life, but then she sustains life. And in those early years, those 14 character qualities is what she infuses in her children. And it starts with her and her husband. He lays it down. He leads the way. But brother, she's the glue that holds it all together. We go into mining and we said, oh, man, we hit the mother load. You know what that means? that means you hit the main vein from which all your riches now are going to come from the word mother in the bible is an interesting phrase i mean it's quite incredible now in my years over the years i i've really i really have seen some excellent mothers i really have and uh, yet i must tell you i've really seen some terrible ones and I, I, I've also seen the impact of not only what a good mother has on her family, based on our understanding, the definition now of a mother, but I also understand the impact of a bad mother on her household. And you know, today, if you're listening to me out there, and uh, upstairs or downstairs or here or wherever, you're listening to this down the line someplace, you found it, let me ask you, here's the real question. The real question will be, when your children arise, when they grow up, what will they call you? I want you to think about that as we kind of walk through this thing here and put some things together. I, as I said, over the years, I've seen some terrible, tragic examples of a mother that have destroyed families. I mean, you'd obviously see it with the father first, but I'm talking about moms today, and I want to give you some insight into some things based on Proverbs chapter 31 and based on your role, your role as a mother. Forget about the father for a moment. We'll get him later. Now, I've learned this too. No matter how much you lay the word of God out, and we do here, Uh, Every time we come, we try to give you everything that we can. No matter how much Bible you give people, uh, people many times are simply not going to get it and not do anything with it. That's just the way it goes. And when I come to to looking at motherhood, uh, their failure to be the counterpart, to be the right beginning in their children's life. And I have seen over the years the absolute destructive damage. It's unbelievable. And yet at the same time, I've seen the mom just scratch her head and say, I wonder what happened. Well, I'm going to tell you what happened this morning. Saddest part of my ministry is seeing the destruction of children simply because of the moms who will not understand and do their role. I've had kids that came to church here, that came to camp, that they really got fired up at camp and really wanted to do what's right, but mom wanted nothing to do with that, and she wanted nothing to do for them. And the one little guy said, I have to get up at 5.30 before my mom ever gets up and get into my Bible, because if she sees me in my Bible, she's going to give me all kinds of trouble over it. Imagine that. Imagine that. And yet, we lost that one. You usually do. The kid hung on as long as he could, came as much as he could, but you don't see him around anymore. She won. It isn't so much that she won is I want to talk to you about the power that you have as a mother to either make them what God wants them to be or destroy them. Listen. I have horror stories that I could tell you. Over the years, I've seen a mother get divorced, you know, when she was 30, 35. And she still thinks she's the hottest thing on the planet. And she's trying to regain something that she thinks she lost. So you know what she does? She shacks up with an 18 or 19-year-old boy. And she flaunts it around, you know, in public like it's the thing to do. And many times, you know, there'll be two or three kids in the family that are 12, 13, or 14 who see that and have to deal not only with the terrible example. Hey, I talked to them. They have come in and said, my kids at school make fun of me because of my mother. They call her a cougar. They call her a whore. And let me tell you something. I bet your parents' night at, at school was an interesting time. She's the poster child for Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20, which says, such is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth, wipeth her mouth, and saith, I have done no wrong. And then she wonder why is that her kids, when they rise and grow up, They can't have a normal relationship with a a guy or a gal. Their mind is so skewed because of what the example the mother was, her indifference to biblical principles, her flaunting her sin like, hey, this is the thing for me to do. What's wrong with you for not accepting this? And she'll never figure it out that her terrible example destroyed those kids. And she never will figure out the power that we have as a mother. Hey, I've seen them and dealt with their kids. Where, you know, they're married and they'll have a couple of kids or one kid or whatever. And then they'll get a divorce. And I've seen that little kid when they're 10, 12, 13, or 14... One girl told me one time, she says, all that she can remember growing up is the one-night stands that her mom brought in every weekend, guy after guy after guy, and mom cared nothing about the girl seeing this, mom cared nothing about the boy seeing this, mom cared nothing about... Uh, what she was doing and the impact it was having on 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 the kid. And that little girl told me, you know what? All I can remember as a kid growing up is mom one night stands or the people, the guys she would pick up at the her favorite watering hole and she would bring them and I'd have to stay in my room. And once they were done with my mother, when she was asleep, some of them even tried to come in and molest me. And when I told my mother about it, my mother called me the liar, defended them. So she locked herself in her room every night, fearing that one of her mother's men. And that poor girl turned out to be a hopeless case of having any real meaningful relationship with anybody. Her mom destroyed that. Her mom completely destroyed any normalcy of having a relationship. That's all that kid saw. I had another case. Hey, don't tell me, pal. You don't talk about this, You know, but I've seen it all, man. I've seen the same basic scenario except the girl at 18 couldn't took it anymore and he found her committed suicide in her bedroom one weekend. And the real question is, what will your children rise up and call you? Mother of the year? I've seen mothers run the family completely. Oh, boy, have I ever. Dad's a wimp. I don't know what else to say. He's a weak person. He may be the nicest guy on the planet, most of the time they are, but I'll tell you what, he stands by while mom takes the reins, and if you would ask him, or sir, oh, yeah, yeah, he, no, he leads the family, yeah, he always has a last say. You say, shut up, and he says, yes, dear. Yeah, you always get it. He says, honey, when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. She runs everything. She runs the show. And I've seen the boys in such a situation like that grow up and have absolutely no respect for women. I've seen them use women. I've seen them degrade women. I've seen them get married and divorce a multiple times because they're, they're, they don't have the ability because of the screwed relationship that was messed up and so absolutely out of balance. They usually wind up having the morals of an alley cat. I've seen them have one illegitimate kid after the other where marriage was not even in the cards. And when the baby was illegitimate and the woman found out, the mom found out that her son had gotten some girl pregnant, it was like, wow, this is a great thing. I'm going to be a grandma. Are you kidding me? It's an unbroken chain. And I'll tell you right now, 100% of the time, mom's response to it, if you would talk to her, it's always somebody else's fault. My little baby boy won't do anything wrong. He's a really good kid. He's a really nice guy. He's He's a good father. Yeah, he doesn't get much of the Bible down, but he got that verse that said, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And when, his, when the boy got two or three girls pregnant, the mother told me. I said, what's going on? She, you know what she said? She said it was the girl's fault for not being on birth control. Mother of the year material. The boys were never at fault. And they turned out to be the biggest disasters you ever saw in your life. And a woman like that turns out to be one of... Well all you can do, you can't fix it in all my years I've never seen a scenario like that ever get fixed. All you can do is get out of the way. I mean, she makes the wizard of oz, the wicked witch of the west, look like a Sunday school teacher. And I've seen it over the years, always a disaster. And always somebody else's fault. And when you try to hold them accountable, <laughs> don't even try. <clears throat> but I guess, <clears throat> oh, I've seen it, man. And I'm going to get to some good ones here in a minute. It won't take me long because are isn't many. But I, I guess the most common one will be the mother who just stands by and lets a deadbeat husband destroy the family. And I see this one all the time. I guess it's the number one on the hit list. You know, I tell women all the time, if you're in a dead-end marriage and you and your husband is, is destroying your kids, whether he's saved or lost, because it happens in both cases. I mean, he may be out drinking with the boys and partying with the boys and cares nothing about those kids that are in that formidable years. Or may he be home and he's just an absolute spiritual zero when they're in the most crucial years of their life. And he lets you do it all. I mean, he's making every bad, stupid decision that he can make. He's quitting his job. He's going from this job to that job. He's unstable. And he's as worthless as a spiritual leader as he can be. And he treats you like dirt. Hey, don't tell me. They've sat in my office, tears running down their face, saying he treats me like dirt. He'll say, I don't love you. And he's running around with all of his buddies. And he'll say this, you know what? I'll love you if you lose some weight. I'm just telling you, ladies. Power of a mother. Power of a woman. I ain't in black power. I'm in woman power. Black lives matter. Women's lives matter. Listen, you don't have to let that happen to your kids and let them be destroyed. As a woman, I tell them all the time. You do not understand the power that you have as a woman in a situation like that. You completely have the upper hand. You don't have to let that happen. You don't have to lose your kids. You can completely biblically control the situation. And as a wife and as a mother, you have the power to deal with that and save your family. But you won't. You won't because you're weak. You won't because you're wishy washy. You won't because you're dysfunctional yourself. It's like the wife beating concept. I tell women all the time she says, My husband, my husband, my husband smacks me around. He's done it all our marriage. And I look at her like, do you, not, you, do you not, and I don't know what to do. What do you mean you don't know what to do? You want to fix that one time, put him in jail. Don't just call the police and when they show up saying, well, I don't want to press, call him off the jail, put him in jail, go to court, let his employer know it, let his friends know it, everybody know what a goofball he is. But you know what? You won't do it. Well, I love him. What has that got to do with it? If you love him, hold him accountable. I love you guys to death, but I don't let you slip and slide. You hit me, I'm going to take you to court and put you in jail. It's the same concept. But you know what? You can't take, they can't take a stand for anything. You can't take a stand for yourself. And what the tragedy is, you can't take your stand for your kids. Oh, oh, and I get it. And you'll whine and complain about it. Oh, you will. They've sat in my office, tears. I don't know what to do. I, what do you mean you don't know what to do? You have the power as a godly mother not to put up with that. There is some things you can do to fix that, but you won't do it. You know why? Because you have no self discipline. You won't stand up for your kids to do the right thing. You have no courage. So what you do is just play the victim. Yeah, that's what you do. You play the victim. Oh, woe is me. You like to play possum. And I just say that because that's fresh in my mind that I ran over one last night coming home. You just like to play possum. You just like to be the victim in all of this. And I'm telling you, and I say it all the time, kids always pay the price. And in time, when your kids rise up, they have absolutely no respect for you. They want nothing to do with you. And (laughs) you actually stand there and scratch your head and ask yourself, why? It's because you allowed some 250-pound couch potato to be the worst example that they could ever have. And you, by doing nothing, have now turned them against you, and most of the time they go right out into the world because you've lost any real influence in their life because they do not respect you. And when they rise up, what are they going to call you? You allowed that jerk of a husband to, to, to provoke them, to be a terrible example, to bully them, to put completely unreasonable demands on them that you allowed him to belittle them, the man they follow, his stupid leadership. And you, mother of the year, just stood by and whined about it all. But you're such a weak, cowardly, undisciplined, dysfunctional person. You just let it all happen, and it destroyed your kids. And here's the real problem. You're as worthless as a Christian as you are as a mother. Hey, I've had them. And I I could put a thousand people with Bible in your world and you never still make it. You know why? Problem is in how many people with Bibles get in your world, problem is you really don't want to do what you need to do other than whine about it. Listen to me. Your Bible, your Bible is not God's word. Here it comes. Your Bible is not God's Word. Your Bible is the social media of Facebook. Listen to me. Oh, yeah, man. Here it comes. That's where you take your issues. That's where you post your little grievances. That's what you talk about who you like and who you don't like. That's where you fall into discord with other worthless people like yourself, birds of a feather flock together. And then, oh, it's in, there's where the injustice is that you feel, the fact that you're all alone and you have no friends, and what am I going to do, and woe is this, and woe is that, and this person doesn't like me, and I don't like this, and I don't like that. And by doing so, posted for the world to see every day, 24-7, you reveal and expose how stupid and shadow you really are. Now, let me just say this. Now, there is absolutely nothing wrong with having a grievance. There's nothing wrong with having issues with people. We all do. Uh, you have something that you don't like or you feel strongly about. I get that. But, but may I suggest... And again, I apologize this morning. I'm sorry to keep going back to the Bible. So I apologize to you as staying Scripture with this, but I just, I just got to ask you, may I suggest, instead of posting that all on the public media for this see, may I suggest that you get on your knees and take those grievances to the only one that can fix them. May I suggest that you get off of Facebook and seek his face in his book. May I suggest that you take what you don't like to somebody who can fix it and on your knees instead of before the all-then saved world. That's where you lay out your petitions. That's where you lay out your grievances. That's where you lay out what you don't like. I have never understood in all my life People going and talking with people about things to people that those people can't fix for you. And you know why you do that? Because you really don't want to fix them. Because if you did, you stay off of Facebook and get in God's book. On your knees, bringing your petitions before Almighty God. And I've never understood it. I've never understood it. On the social media, you parade your problems. You parade how unspiritual you are. You parade how that you don't take your issues before God. You bring them with the other dysfunctional people. You display your stupidity like you're at the Macy's Day Thanksgiving parade. But all the issues you should have brought to God, you bring to the social media of the world to put it on display. I want to tell you, I don't care what your problems are. I don't care what your issues are. I don't care whether it's legit or not legit. You may think it's legit to you and I'm with you on that and I have no problem with whatever you feel because we're all human and we all have feelings. But there is a process by which you deal with that as a Christian. In ministry, there's a chain of command. In my life, I've done a lot of dumb things. But in my life, there's three things that I thank God every day dealing with people that God never allowed me to get into. One of them, I never drank. I know some of you have struggled with that and and maybe you still do and alcohol can be a stronghold in your life. I, I, I just never had that. I think it tastes terrible. I'm not gonna stand here and tell you that I didn't taste it. I did, and I hated it. It did nothing for me. I used to, when I was in the Army, I'd go to the PX with the guys They'd all have a Friday night beer drinking thing. I was the only guy that could make one can of beer last all night because I never drank it. And then I'd excuse myself and go to the restroom and pour it out and come back and say, man, give me another one. I never drank it. I hated the taste of it. And maybe you've got to develop a taste for it. I don't know. But I, I, it just, to me, what is that? And I'll tell you something else. I I never, I never, I never smoked. But yet I faked it a lot of times. Because when you're with the guys, you want to be with the guys. Back in the army, they say, you want to say, everybody who was a man smoked. And I always loved, I was always stood in awe of how you can take it in here and then it comes out your nose. To me, that's an amazing feat. I mean, the smoke goes in here, and you hold it in there for a while, and the next thing you know, it's coming out your nose. To me, that's incredible. That's like the guy, when his, when your car's broke, he opens the hood and says, uh, mm, got a screwdriver? And you say, yeah, and he sticks it down there someplace, and the car starts. Now, that's impressive. I, I, I wish I could do that. I tried it one time, blew up the whole screwdriver. <laughs> I don't know what I taught. But I am telling you. Uh, you know. And then, yeah, I try. I tried it one time when I was by myself years ago. And I took it in, and, I, and somebody said, you just swallow it. Swallow smoke. And it goes down, and then it comes out your nose. I swallowed it. It didn't come out my nose. <laughs> I coughed and puked and choked. I'll tell you what, man. Uh, but I thank God that I never smoked marijuana. Never got into drugs. I never did. I had a lot of guys that did, a lot of friends that did, and I just never did. I said, I, I realized, I guess I was born, I realized that years ago, before most of you were born, they didn't call it marijuana, they didn't call it this or that, they just called it dope, because you had to be a dope to do it. So I just never got into it. So I thank God for those two things. But the third thing that I thank God that uh, that, that I never got into was face me Facebook or social media. I know nothing about them. You say well, you talk a lot about it. that's because you guys keep sending me screenshots of some idiot. Don't miss it. I like it. I mean I do. I look at him and I laugh. I do. I get some guy down there at the Royals game holding up a beer who's a Christian. You get some kid on Facebook putting a thing about how they smoke marijuana, you know, and bragging about it. And you that's that's great preaching material, man. Now If I can be honest, there are times in dealing with people that you probably could get me to go have a drink with you. There's times that I think about those little fruity drinks and those coconuts with the little umbrellas out of them, (laughs) slurping on one of them to forget you. I, 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 I might even, if, it, if I thought it would solve all of our problems, I'd, I'd smoke a joint with you. <laughs> but there isn't how bad and goofy you can be. There isn't how worthless you can be or how problematic you can be that ever forced me to get on Facebook. <laughs> now, I got to clarify this because I know some of you are on it. And the last thing I want to go out of here is having you think that I'm against Facebook. I don't know how you would even get that from my message today. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Nobody uses the internet more than I do. I don't even use my concordance anymore. If I'm looking for a verse, I can just type it in and, and, and it come give up the verse. It's incredible stuff you can get on there. It's incredible the stuff that you can learn on there. Any subject that you want. I'll be watching a TV program and they'll make a reference to something and I'll pause it and go over and, and Google it and there comes all the information I want on everything. It's incredible stuff. But it's like everything in life. There's a good side to it and there's a the bad side to it. And the problem is that if you have the self-discipline to do what you need to do and you've got the character qualities, then it's a good thing for you. I'm not, I, I know I crack on Facebook, but you know, you want to put your kids' pictures on there. You want to put your vacation on there. Hey, I get it. You know what? But you realize that a lot of God's people put some of the most godless stuff on there that you ever saw in your life. How stupid are you? You don't come to church. You tell me, well, we didn't feel well or I'm really busy at work. But you post on Facebook you're down at the lake. That's got to be related to Nancy Pelosi getting her hair done and thinking she got set up. (laughs) I, I mean, come on. You, well, they set me up. Really? You remind me of a bank robber one time who went in and robbed the bank, and they had him on a security camera and got a clear picture of his face and went and arrested him, and he said, that ain't fair. You set me up. You had a camera. I get it. But well, I'm telling you, some of the stuff that you, God's people put on there, some of the things you say, It's no wonder that the unsaved world wants nothing to do with Christianity. I mean, if that's your character quality, and that's what you are, and you're on there saying one thing, and then you're down at the lake holding a beer down there, smiling while you're water skiing, and if you look real close in the background, there's a 30-foot shark coming after you. And even he didn't want to eat you. People do the dumbest things, man. You know what? If you really are seeking God's face, that's all the face you need. You don't need this other stuff. If you want to put your vacation pictures on it, if you want to put your kids on it, your dogs on it, hey, I'm all for that. If you have the self-discipline to use it, it's okay. The problem is most of God's people, most mothers, don't have that. So it winds up being a garbage dump for everybody to read and see. For the undisciplined and the unstructured and the unspiritual, it becomes a stronghold in their life of discord and gossip. And the tragedy is your kids see it. They, they watch you post those things. And then you allow them to post on it. And next thing you know, they're on there smoking a joint and telling everybody how they're a Christian and it's okay to do this. And it's your Facebook versus seeking God in His Facebook. You know, and I and I, I hate you know I hate cracking on this because you know there's a lot of it, it's okay, and you know what I'm talking about. But you know they have these things now on for your phone. I have one. I found it. Don't look at me like that. I found it, but it's a telescopic thing that you pull out, and you put your iPhone in it. They call them selfies. Now, I'm not against selfies. I've never taken a selfie. On my phone, I have Daisy. She's laying there looking up at me. That's the picture I have. I'm not fighting it. But you know what? You're so busy, we're so busy taking a selfie of how we look. You want a real selfie? Get in book Proverbs chapter 31 and take a picture of you there. Power of a mother. I I've seen it, you know, I've seen it that you know, moms like this always. They never have the fourteen character qualities. They have no ministry, they have no work with their hands, they have no making of clothes for the family. They have no field that they bought. There's no service to others. There's no, there's no sacrifice. There's no character. There's no strength. There's no self-discipline. There's no courage and no honor. And somebody else has to make the clothes, spiritually speaking, for their kids. And when their kids rise up, what do they call you? And sometimes over the years, you know, I, I, it's more like a rescue mission to me. You try to save, help one or two of the kids. Not very often. But I have found this out over the years. If you do and you get one, you get them in spite of the mother, not because of it. And over the years, I've seen that they usually are very special kids. God has something for them and, and God gives somebody else the privilege to help them. I mean, it's a tragedy, I I think, you know, I've had to deal with a lot of custody cases, you know, and and deal with, uh, in court deal with people, you know, and and mothers who were terrible. And and sometimes I've seen over the years that, uh, you know, the courts actually take the kids away from the mother because they deem the mothers unfit to be the parent for that. And that's always a tough time. Yet I've got to tell you, I've seen some that actually turned it around. And in time, they, they made a difference. But it's even more of a tragic thing to me than for any Christian family. For God to have to come down and remove a child out of your family spiritually and give them to somebody else to make sure they get the Bible that they need because you're simply not doing it. you got to be ashamed of yourself. Try that selfie and see how it looks on you. Power of being a mother. It all begins with her. She gives life. And she sustains life. She's the glue. It may be the dad who has to lead the way and has to be everything that he does, but at the end of the day, it's the mother who holds it all together. Now, the Bible says that her children will rise up and call her blessed. Now, just for a moment, let's see the other side of this. And just as I've seen some horrible examples of a mother, I've seen some incredibly good ones. Now, if you think that I just kind of put all that together and made all that up, allow me in the next, oh, I don't know, five or ten minutes to again show you how stupid you really are. In fact, you embrace stupidity like it was a virtue. Now, watch this. We're going to go right back to the Bible again. Watch this. I didn't see this before this last week. Watch this. Let's take just a quick walk through the Bible based on our text in the ending of the Proverbs chapter 31, talking about the power of being a biblical mother. Are you ready? Here we go. That's all the way back to Moses. Moses was the greatest leader that Israel ever had. More written about Moses than any other man in the Bible outside of Christ. He writes the first five books of the Bible. But you ever notice that it was his mother? Not one mention of his father. It was his mother who saw he was a proper child. It was his mother who refused to turn him over to Pharaoh in the world. It was his mother who came up with the idea of faith to make a little basket to put that little baby Moses in and then put him in a Nile uh, along there by the bulrushes and, and, and so Pharaoh wouldn't kill him. It wasn't the dad, the dad's not even mentioned. It was the mother. And what happened? You know the story. She puts him in a little basket which makes Moses the first basket case in the Bible. But she puts him in a little basket, puts him out there in the Nile, and then she stands and watches. Her eye of protection, even though she was not going to give her child to the world, she was going to put him in God's care, she still has that motherly eye of protection. What happens? Pharaoh's daughter comes down to take a bath. God pinches the little baby Moses, so he starts to cry. She walks over and she says, oh, she says, a a, a baby. I'm going to take this baby. I wanted a baby. I'm going to take this baby. So she takes the baby, takes it back to the palace. I'm sure Moses' mother, who did all the right things, went home pretty sad. Right up to the phone rang. And it was the Pharaoh's daughter saying, hey, would you come and nurse this child for me that I found? And by that story, by that godly mother, with all the character qualities, without the husband even being mentioned, because it starts with the mother. You know what? We learn one of the greatest principles in your life and my life, all about that story of a godly mother. Do you know what the principle is? If you want to keep it, you got to give it away. Wow. Let's walk on. First Samuel chapter 2, little Samuel and his mother, Hannah. Now, here's somebody that she wants a baby, and the Bible says she's barren, and the Bible says she's bitter in her soul. Sounds like Facebook material to me. Sounds like, hey Hannah, get on Facebook, my face, in your face, whatever space you can get, outer space, and lay out your grievance. Uh Uh-uh. She went to God with it. How long will it take for you to figure out that God is the only one that can fix whatever issues you really have? And she went to the Lord. And she gave Israel the greatest prophet and the judge that Israel probably ever had. But her husband's barely noted. It was her who took him to Eli the priest. It's her that makes his little suit of clothes, Proverbs 31. It's her who the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 28, lends him to the Lord. Not her husband. It's her who sees in young Samuel what God sees her husband's not even hardly mentioned. And in verse 35, you find the five character qualities that we need to have in our kids, you need to have in your life. She had them in hers first, and then she put them in little Samuel's. The first one is being faithful priest. The second one is getting God's heart. The third one's getting God's mind. The fourth one's building a sure house. And the fifth one is walk before him. Father's hardly even mentioned in this story. Had nothing to do with it. I'll, I'll go to the next one. Let's move on a little bit here. How about Second Kings chapter 4, the Shumanite woman? She's called a great woman. There's two women called great in the Bible. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. That's because one in the Old Testament is a picture of the nation of Israel. One in the New Testament is a picture of the church. But we don't have time to get into that this morning. She recognizes who the prophet of God is. And she builds a little study place for him. Here again, the husband's only briefly mentioned. And and, and and the son dies. And, hey, she goes to her husband and she says, Look, the man, I'm paraphrasing now, the man of God, we need to get him to the man of God. Get one of the servants, saddle an ass, and get him to get the prophet of God. You know what the husband does? He does the same thing that most husbands do. He makes excuses. He looks for a reason not to do it. You know what she did? She did it herself. She didn't allow an indifferent husband to keep her boy dead. So she saddled him the ass. I'm not sure if that's her husband or the donkey she rode. But she saddles the ass and she goes and gets the prophet to her dead son. Mom, you have the power to get the man of God to your child in spite of a husband that says, I just don't think we need to do that. And what she does, the little chamber that she makes. She puts four things in it. What insight does she have? She puts a bed, she puts a table, she puts a stool, and she puts a candlestick. The four character qualities that we need to have in our lives that she wanted in her life that she put in her boy's life. The bed, that'll teach us the rest in Christ. The table, that'll be a reference to our fellowship in Christ. The stool, that'll be a reference to our studying the Word of God. And the candlestick, that's a picture of the Holy Spirit of God that puts it all together. She's a great woman. But she was not going to let an indifferent husband keep the man of God from getting to her child. Wow. I didn't even have time to get into all the ones in first 1 and second kings and first and second chronicles where the kings of Israel start to reign very young. I mean, you find them when they're eight years old, you find them when they're 20 years old, and they all and every one of them says the same thing. It tells you that he came to power and he reigned, but it was his mother that reigned with him. Father's not even mentioned. How about Mary, the mother of Jesus? <clears throat> Luke chapter 1, verse 26 through 37. The angel Gabriel shows up to, to declare that, that uh, Jesus is coming through her. And he goes into great detail in verse 31 through 35. And you know what? <laughs> Joseph is not even mentioned. He's not even in the picture. And all that she got from Gabriel... All that God told her, oh, how many times I've used this in my life. She set one of the greatest examples of a godly mother. You know what she does? In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, she says, Mary, who kept these things about her son and pondered them in her heart. What do you ponder in your heart about your kids? Do you look at them while they're out there playing sports or they're out there sitting in the room and do you silently pray for them? Do you look at them out there and you wonder, uh, you know, uh, how they're really doing? Are they really doing okay? You know, most parents make a terrible mistake. They think their kids can do no wrong. That's a very terrible thing. But it happens all the time. But what do you see when you see them? I mean, uh, what, what do you, what do you, what, what do you just look at them and, and ponder them in your heart? Uh, is it more about them than it is about you? Do you spend more time with the inward man than you do the outward appearance? And then we have the second great woman. Keep on walking. We have the second great woman in Matthew chapter 15. And I saw none of this. I mean, I've been through these passages. I never caught this till this week. You have the second great woman found in Matthew chapter 23 through 28. And by the way, she's a black woman. She's from Canaan. She's a Canaanite. And she comes to Jesus with a daughter that's vexed with the devil. No husband. And you know, she comes to Jesus and goes through three brutal, indifferent rejections from Christ. I mean, Jesus, lover of my soul, not on that day. He cares upon you, not on that day. She comes to him the first time, flat refusal. Comes the second time, hit the road. Comes the third time, she gets rejected every time. Now, there's some good material for Facebook. I went to church and didn't get what I thought I should. I'm going to find another church. Please, 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 please. 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 Don't promise me things like that if you're not gonna do it. <laughs> now that's the material. I went to church, didn't get what I needed. I'm gonna find another church. I, I, I went to the person and they didn't tell me what I wanted to hear. I'm gonna find someplace. You no, know, no, no. You know what she did? Three times. By the Lord Himself. You know what she did? She stayed right with it. She never got an attitude. She never, got a, she never stepped outside the guidelines. She followed the chain of command. You didn't see her calling up all her other girlfriends on the phone and complaining about what Jesus didn't do for her. See, this is why she's a great woman, and you're not. Well, that fit in good. I didn't even think about that. That just slipped out before I even had to think. I'm sorry about that. She's a great woman. And you know what? That story, that story is the greatest picture Of what our prayer life should be found anywhere in the Bible. And from this story of this great woman who had all the character quality, and her husband's not even, he's not even mentioned. There's no male figures at all in most of these because it's the mother who is the glue. And when push comes to shove. Hey, I'm gonna tell you something. When you get out in combat someplace like D-Day or in Vietnam or whatever the case, boy, and it hits the fan and guys are dying and some guy's laying over here with his intestines blown out over the thing and he's screaming and he's trying to stick them back in and I, I, you know what they cry out? Mother! 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 Never, Dad. Never, Dad. Mothers have an impact in a child's life that is unbelievable. And you have the power to protect your children from everything out there that wants to destroy them, even your deadbeat husband. But you won't do it. These women did. They didn't care. And boy, she sets up five things for us in this story that makes her a great woman when it comes to seeing things the way they really are through God's book, not Facebook. We see that she has the right perspective. We see that she has the right purpose. We see that she has the right persistence. We see that she has the right position because she has the right promises. Well, let's move on here. How about 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6? Young Timothy. Model for every Christian, model for every pastor. When Paul said to him, You know what he said in 1 6? In one when I call to remembrance the unfaith faith that is in thee, here it comes, what dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and in thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that thee. In thee also. Wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God that is in thee by the putting on of my hand. No mention of the Father anywhere. Now I want to tell you something else. Not only is it important to have a good mother and a father, but you better go back and look from here, he says, the grandparents. How's that working for you? Notice the key to Timothy getting into the ministry was the unfeigned faith. You know what unfeigned is? It's not phony. First in thy grandmother, and also in your mother. No father, 100,000 miles around. The importance of godly grandparents in a kid's life. Timothy is the model. He's the model of every Christian, of every pastor. And the gift that was in him of being a pastor started with his mother and his grandmother. You know why? Because the mother is the beginning of everything. She's the beginning of life, and she sustains that life. The power of a godly mother is unbelievable. Now, now, now what do you do with all that? I mean, the role of a godly mother is so vital in a child's life. I mean, she's the foundational force that in the early years holds it all together. And, and when the husband is a jerk, when your Boaz turns out to be a dumbass, when your Boaz turns out to be a lazy ass, when your Boaz is, it turns out to be a jerkass, you have the power... You have the ability through the scriptures to protect your children because you are the mother of all things. When God gave Adam his wife back there, God called her name Eve. You know why he called her name Eve? Because Eve means the mother of all living. That's what a woman is. It's the beginning. A godly mother... Has virtue, willingness in her heart to God, grace, she works hard, she has structure, she has discipline, she has all the 14 character qualities found in our our virtuous woman of chapter 31. Accountable to her husband? Absolutely. But they need to be accountable, he needs to be accountable to her. Before you get off on your male chauvinist horse and right off into the sunset, you better read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Where it says that you both have to submit yourselves to each other in the fear of the Lord. She doesn't waste her time on Facebook. She spends her time seeking God's face in his book. She's like Moses, Exodus thirty three, eleven, where the Bible says that that Moses spake to God face to face, like a man speaketh to his friend. You wonder why you have no good friends. You wonder why you whine and complain because nobody likes you or you don't have anybody or nobody wants to do anything with you. That's because you're not God's friend. You have the worst friends on the planet, and they're all where you're at. It's like Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verse 35. He was up on the mountain. When he was with God, he came down. You know what the Bible says? His face shined because of the glory of God that was in him. You know what your fundamental problem is, Mom? Your face doesn't shine. And when your kids rise up, what do they call you? In Proverbs chapter 31, verse 31 says, Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. You know what that's a reference to? The fruit of her hands? Notice it didn't say the fruit of her womb. You did see that, right? It said the fruit of her hands." She may have gave birth to them, but it was those hands that sustained them. Her children, who will rise up and call her blessed. Where is the fruit of your hands today? And the Bible says that they praise her in the gates. That's a reference to the judgment seat of Christ. But how tragic it is, and I have seen it. And I, I wish that it wasn't so. I wish that God's people would do what's right with the word of God. I wish that moms would understand their rule. I wish that dads would understand their rules. I wish that the two meshing together, and yet I'm telling you, uh, it's, it's a thing where uh, it's, it, it just it turns into a disaster. How tragic it is for God to take that fruit of your hands that you destroyed and give them to somebody else to keep them from ending life like the rest of your family or more importantly, like you. Oh, may God give you the time to rethink your godless position of how you lost your kids. And yet... There's always something you can do. In God's world, it's never too late to fix something that's broke. In Joel chapter 2, verse 25, there's one of the greatest promises that you'll ever find. I'm certain you've never read it. And I use it all the time in dealing with parents who try to regain their kids. And it's found in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, where it says, God speaking to the nation of Israel. He said, "I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the cankerworm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm. My great army which I sent among you. You know, in life, with every bad decision we make, with every tragedy that happens, the worms come in and destroy the fruit that God has for you. The thing that you want to keep the locust out and the cankerworm and the caterpillar out is out of your kids. But unfortunately, it happens." I mean, this is one of the greatest promises in the Bible. Noticely, He doesn't say that He'll just restore you. He told you and promised you He'd restore the years you lost. Ephesians five sixteen hints at this again, where He says redeeming the time because the days were evil, restoring the lost years. But there's a process to do that. You don't find it on Facebook. You don't find it with the people you hang out with. You don't find it in your backbiting, gossiping, discord mind world that you live in. You find it in God's book on your knees and getting the things of God in your life and what, five or six steps that you have to take? But the truth of the matter is and unfortunately the reality is you'll never do that. Because you won't change. The same lack of character qualities that made the mess you're in will be the same ones that will keep you from fixing that mess. And yet, I want to say to you, I've worked over the years with many families and parents over the years who have turned it around. Not many, but I have seen and have in my world men and women who recognize what they've done wrong and actually try to turn it around. And I have, without a doubt, I can say this, the deepest respect for others, um, for those who turn it around. Yet at the same time, I've seen moms and dads who've done everything right with their kids. I'm not saying their kids are perfect. Still got to hit them with a ball bat every once in a while. But as far as the parents are concerned, they've crossed every T and dotted every I. They have understood their roles. They have meshed their roles together. And uh, it shows you know, everybody will make mistakes in life, especially in parenting. Believe me, I've made my share of mistakes in parenting. But, you know, it's it's the ability to use God. It's the ability to let God structure, God's Word, to fix the mistake. But you see, to fix the mistake with your kids, you have to go back and fix the mistakes with you. And people don't want to do that. It's so much easier in life to blame our problems on everybody else. You, you see it across this country, in the unsaved world. There's no accountability. There's no responsibility. Everything that's happening today is Trump's fault. It doesn't matter if you don't like this thing over here. This is this person's fault. If you don't like this, well, it's this person's fault. Nobody, nobody wants to take personal responsibility in this world that we live in. And that's okay with the world, but it won't work in Christianity. You have to take responsibility for yourself. And a woman of Proverbs chapter 31, those 14 character qualities came about in her life because she wasn't passing the buck to somebody else. She recognized what she had to do and she understood what motherhood really was. Motherhood begins with life, And then motherhood sustains that life. And when you mesh the two together, it works perfectly. When one or the other doesn't work, then you go to the Word of God, you go to the structure, and you fix it. Because there's always something you can do. Power of being a godly mother. Over the years, I've heard them speak. Most of them are dead now. But I looked at men and listened to guys and read about them like Billy Sunday, Bob Jones, Sr., guys like Harold Seitler, guys like Oliver Green, even guys like J. Frank Norris or guys like Phil Ward and Tommy Thomas, and certainly I've heard it a thousand times from Mel Sabaka, that they wouldn't have been where they were and got done what they got done for the Lord. Without their godly mother praying for them and being there for them. And I'm telling you, you can never underestimate the power that you have as a mother to be the beginning of it all and the glue that holds it all together when you work together with your husband. And if you have a husband that does not, you don't allow your kids to be destroyed. You don't sit by and let them be destroyed you have the power, you have the authority, and you have the power to deal with them. And as a mother, you need to be the glue that holds it all together. The mother of the beginning of your family. The mother of their beginning of their walk with God. And as I said many times, you you gave them life, you brought them into this world, now you sustain them as they walk through this life. Proverbs chapter 31 is... This virtuous woman is an incredible thing. And I'll be honest with you. I was planning on going it like you always do, you know, apply it to us. But boy, when I saw that thing about the mother there, and I caught that first verse where it said the words of his mother, and I saw that in that whole chapter, the dad is hardly mentioned. And then I started thinking about Moses. I started thinking about Samuel. I started thinking about all the guys in the Bible and all the stories, that they would never have gotten where they got and done what they done without the mom. Because the mother is the beginning of all things. Dad, you may set the rules, and you may be the spiritual leader, and I hope you are, but I'll tell you what, this world would die out in about three generations if it wasn't for women and the mother, because you can do a lot of things. You can work. You can hunt. You can fish. You can do all the fun things. You can take them here. You can do this with them. But I'll tell you one thing you cannot do. You cannot produce life. Because Eve was the mother of all living. It starts with her. She's the glue that holds it all together. And she's the ultimate protective force that keeps it together. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, and love you so much for all that you do for us. Pray your blessings upon us this morning. Pray, Father, challenge our hearts as we close out this great book. And Lord, we look forward to all that you do for us and all that you give us. We love you so much. Thank you for the great women in this church and for the fathers who uh, are the great counterparts, but Lord, for the mothers, for the mothers who have these character qualities, who are this and that will protect their children from everything, including a deadbeat husband. And Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen.